Well, good morning. My name is Jacob Warren. Welcome to Family Worship. Uh, welcome, kids, uh, gathering with us in here on a Sunday morning. Maybe uh, you're new here with us at Veritas Church. I know that this is not the norm for us on a Sunday morning to have all of our Veritas kids in here with us on a Sunday morning. Most Sundays, uh, they are being taught, they're being instructed, they're being prayed over, they're worshiping together um, in Veritas Kids, which is on the other side of here in those classrooms. Um, but we joyfully welcome them into the gathering with us here this morning. So can we, can we welcome the kids, like welcome them this morning? So uh, just because the kids are in here with us this morning, uh, the game plan is always the same for us as we gather together as the church. We're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to preach from it this morning because we believe that the authority of God's word is self-evident. And as we proclaim the Bible uh, together when the church is gathered like this, it does something for us in our hearts. It does something among our people uh, and there's nothing else quite like it. So grab your Bibles and uh, meet me in Revelation chapter 7. Yes, I said Revelation chapter 7. Don't get scared yet. Know that Revelation is all about Jesus. The whole of the scriptures is about Jesus. Uh, the Revelation's got a bad rap for all like the imagery and stuff that it portrays, but know that the whole Bible is about the person and work of Jesus. Uh, we've been in Ephesians for the past number of weeks, but today we're taking a, a sidestep in the, the book of Ephesians to preach this sermon from Revelation because uh, we believe and want to see what happened uh, grow together as a church in the, in the series that we're calling the Rooted Series. Uh, we want to be rooted in, a, in the truth, which means we must be rooted in God's church because the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. We want to be rooted in the gospel uh, because we want to be a generous people and be become a generous people. We want to be rooted in the city like we saw a couple weeks ago and see that that makes us into a missional people. And this morning, we want to be rooted in our future hope because that makes us into a hopeful people. We'll be in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and we'll be through verse 17. Let me read the word of the Lord for us together this morning. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. The very word of the Lord to us this morning speaks to us like this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces and before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13, and one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said, Sir, you know. And he answers his own question. He said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Church, let's pray again for God's help as we walk through this passage together.
Jesus, we pray um, as your people uh, this morning that our, we would have eyes to see and ears to hear from you, um, that the truths of this passage, that uh, our future hope, a picture of our future hope with you would just soothe our hearts uh, from all the worries and cares that we can have, even as followers of Jesus in this life, um, all the things going on around us, all the things that we, and, ha- and reasons we have for anxiety and worry, God, would you uh, replace those worries uh, with a confidence in you because of our future reality that we will be with you eternally in heaven, enjoying in your presence your protection and your provision forever. Jesus, I pray that um, as we meditate on these truths together as your people, you would make us into a hopeful people together as um, people as a part of this church. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So opening up the scriptures together to Revelation 7 might be a bit of a shock to you this morning, especially on a family worship Sunday. But again, what John gives us here is really, we can think of it like a picture. Uh, Maybe you've got pictures hanging up in your house right now. We've got pictures all over our house. My wife loves pictures. But pictures, what they do is they capture something at a moment in time, right? They encapsulate it, and it's just a, a short snippet of what that thing is. But then you have memories that you've based on that picture. Maybe you remember, you see the picture and you remember that day at the beach that you took that picture or the family photo that you took in front of your your parents' house. And now you remember, like, things look different now than what they looked like in the picture because pictures only can capture something that has happened in the past. Even if you take a picture right now on your phone, what you would be looking at it just seconds later is a moment captured in the past, For the kids here in the room, maybe you remember seeing a picture of yourself maybe for the first time and realizing, man, that was me as a baby. That's me when I was younger. And you're like, wow, my hair has changed, or I've gotten taller, or, you know, I've got this or that, or, you know, hopefully you've changed. Hopefully you're not still wearing diapers like you were as a baby, right, kids? We're trying to get out of those phases. At least we got people in our house they are still working through it, right? Parents, you can amen me. You know that struggle. But all those pictures are all we have from the past. They're always from the past. So just imagine, though, you had a picture from the future, a future reality that things would actually be leading towards. And this is what we have from the Apostle John, who received this revelation from God about the future, whose God's people would be, and what eternity would look like with him. So this is the two main things that John wants to paint a picture of, and what he receives a picture of is a picture of God's redeemed people in verses 9 through 14, Uh, who they are, what they do, and where they've come from, and then a picture of our future hope in verses 15 through 17 about what, what really is our future hope if we do believe the good news of Jesus. Why is the good news about Jesus actually good news? And finally, how should this good news change the way that we live? First, let's look at a picture of God's redeemed people. This picture that we're given here in, uh, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, is fresh off the heels of what came before in verses 1 through 8. And I know that we can have differences of opinion about what this is actually about, but what I think this is about is two pictures, verses 1 through 8 and verses 9 through 17, of the same scene, like two sides of the same coin where John beforehand uses hyperbolic language using the, the, the language of God's covenant people, the 12 tribes, about the full number of the disciples coming in to worship before God. And then we see another picture of this using different language where we're told in verse 10, 
9 in particular, that after this I looked and behold a very great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe and people and languages standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. And this answers the question for us first, who is this people? Who are God's redeemed people? See, this is a great multitude, and they're standing before God. And if you know anything about the God of the Bible, or maybe if you're new to the God of the Bible, you should know this, that if you stand before God in his righteous, holy presence, if there's not something that's covering you, if there's not something that's clothing you, if you're not righteous and holy, you cannot stand before the God of the Bible. You cannot Things that are unrighteous, that are unholy, that have no place before God. But this people, it says that they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So therefore, this is a redeemed people, a people that have been bought back. And it says they've been bought back from all tribes, all tongues, from all over the face of the whole earth. So we're told here is that God has gathered for himself a covenant people. He's gathered for himself a people and bought them back. That's what this word redeemed means. It means to be bought back, like monetarily, like purchased back. You could redeem something that was previously yours or lost to you by buying it back. And this is what God has done. He's redeemed a people to himself. So even though this number of people gathered around the throne is definite, God knows the exact number to us. It just looks unfathomable. It's huge. And this should give us hope for everyone that we encounter as followers of Jesus to believe. See, if God's people, God's redeemed people are from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, it means God's people are multi-ethnic. They're multicultural. They're from all over the globe. And that's what this gives us is a global hope for the good news of the gospel. And what we say, our, our, our mission statement as a church is to love God, love people, and advance the gospel. This means that the advancement of the gospel is going to continue until God redeems the full number of those who are to come into his covenant family. And our job, like Matthew 28 would say, is to continue spreading the good news of the gospel. See, this passage should remind us of the radical inclusivity about God's salvation. It is radically exclusive as well because the only way to become a part of this covenant family, we're told later, is to have your robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the only way to get in. Once you're in, like you're, everyone from everywhere can get in on this promise from God because it's not just Jews and Greeks in Asia Minor they are going to get in on this family of the redeemed people like we've seen in the book of Ephesians. It's all nations and all people from all over the planet. This emphasizes God's gospel knows no boundaries. That means that our job is to advance the gospel and take it everywhere. This global mission in the world God will see accomplished through us preaching the good news of the gospel. And God's grace is extended to all people from all walks of life, from every corner of the world. And this is why we, as a church family, we celebrate the, the diversity among us, the, the young and the old, the, the black and the white, it's different social and economic classes represented here. And that's because there is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. When you're one into this family, you're just, just that. You're one of us. You're brought into the family of God. And so God is at work among us to work and break down the walls that divide us because we are already spiritually united in Christ. 
So it goes from who these redeemed people are to then what they do. It says that they're standing before the throne clothed in white robes, again signifying they've been saved by Jesus, cleansed from sin, that order to for God to bring them into his own presence and welcome them into his presence, God has cleansed them from their sin and made their robes white as snow. But it says that they're doing something around the throne. It says, one, that they're holding something, and it says that they're saying something, or I think that they're singing something. It says in the, in the beginning of verse 10, it says, uh, at the end of verse 9, they're clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And in verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, maybe you're familiar with the Bible, and you might even know what, at this time, holding a palm branch in your hand might represent. Does anybody know what that might represent? Victory, some type of military victory, this type of celebration of some sort. This is a victory, that, why you would hold palm branches in your hand. Think with me, if you remember uh, in the Gospels of this, the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem when people were waving palm branches and throwing their coats down and throwing the palm branches down so that they could welcome Jesus in as the conquering king into the city of Jerusalem. They were recognizing Jesus for who he actually is. He is the conquering king, but not of, of military might and military power. He is the conquering king who's conquered what? And that's what we're told in verse 10. They sing this song, salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is whose victory over what? This is Jesus' victory over sin and death. They sing this song, and it's a scandalous thing for ethnic Jews to actually hear these words said out loud because they would be worshiping the Lamb, Jesus himself, as God. And this is what we believe about the gospel, that Jesus really is God. He is not just a good man. He is not just a good teacher. He is God incarnate. But as the Lamb of God, his death on a cross was the culmination of the entire Old Testament system of sacrifices, where in order to be in right standing before God, blood must be shed. And then for kids in the room, that's kind of a, that's a weird reality to think about, that in order for your sins to be forgiven or to be in right standing with God, that blood must be shed? We're going to have to to kill a lamb? We're going to have to, to kill a, a dove? To shed the blood of that thing so that our sins can be covered? Yes, this is the reality of our sin. That our sin deserves death before God. Our sin isn't just like bad things that happen to me or to other people. No, sin is deserving of death. Romans would say that the wages of sin is death. The thing that you earn for yourself when you sin is death. But praise be to God that Jesus' blood cleanses us. Well, this passage says it, it makes us a part of the redeemed family of God, giving us access to God, allowing us to come into his presence. And church, this is why we actually sing. This is why I think that what's happening right now is the redeemed people of God are singing in this future reality. They're singing before God. This uncontrollable urge that because of gratitude of what God has done, that they can't hold it back. They have to sing their praises to God. They have to sing the truths of God. I was at a kid's birthday party yesterday. If you hang around kids for any amount of time or kids you know here in the room, if you're really happy and you're younger, what do you tend to do if you're like really, really happy just running around the house? You might just sing. You might just sing about whatever. I know I got young kids, they might sing about playing with Play-Doh. They might sing about playing with their Barbies, you know, like I got little boys, they might sing about like, 
whatever, it kind of is in their head. At that birthday party, when we gathered around the cake, we lit the candle, right? What did we all do? We sang. We sang happy birthday. It's what you do when there's something celebratory. It's something that kind of naturally flows out of you, this inclination to, to put the good news of whatever that, whatever that thing is on your own lips. Because of what God has done, brought salvation for us and hope for them, the picture of the redeemed people of God in Revelation 7 is that they cannot hold back their expressed gratitude to God in song. But notice God's redeemed people are worshiping God, but not just them. We have the rest of creation worshiping alongside of them. Look with me at verses 11 through 12. 11 says, And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures. Don't be afraid of those terms. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. See, the rest of creation is symbolized here by these angels and elders and the living creatures that are described in detail other places in Revelation, but they symbolize all of creation coming alongside of God's covenant people as they express their praise for God and amening that phrase. That means, let it be so, all these good things about God. What they sing here is what you can kind of think of as a a seven-verse song with an opening-closing affirmation of amen. There are seven elements to their song where they say, Blessing belongs to God. Glory belongs to God. Wisdom belongs to God. Thanksgiving and honor and power all belong to God. And amen. They open and close this song with an amen, like we do often here as well. This is a beautiful picture of the unity that we experience with the rest of creation in the new heavens and the new earth. And we talked about this multiple times. Right now, the heavens still declare the glory of God, like Psalm 19, verse 1 would say, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. But many times, our, uh, our, our, just us, as, as creatures redeemed by God, we're still at war at, with much of the creation around us. We don't experience a lot of harmony with the creation around us. I mean, I've given the, the picture about the hedge in between me and my neighbor's house, and how it's constantly growing out of control. We've got sumac everywhere. Every time I touch that stuff, I get like, you know, all kinds of breakouts on my arms. We're at war with some of the creation around us, but in the new heavens and in the new earth, we have the hope of harmony with all of creation, this beautiful reality, with all things proclaiming God's goodness forever. But then John describes the scene changing. And to our surprise, this picture that, sh- that, that John has painted so far not only sings, but this picture also speaks to John. John is addressed directly in verse 13. This is one of the elders comes up to him and talks to him. and says, one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and where do they come from? Verse 14, I said, I said to him, sir, you know, and this guy wants to answer his own question, right? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, verses 13 and 14 tells us where these people have come from, what they've been brought through. These are God's redeemed people, bought back by God, but they've also come through great tribulation. I know there's many views about what that word tribulation means, but for our sake this morning, I want to assume that the tribulation has been going on ever since Jesus ascended after the resurrection. Every generation of followers of Jesus since the ascension of Jesus have experienced tribulation, have they not? 
Every generation of followers of Jesus have, to some degree, whether they've experienced direct opposition, they've experienced the threats of murder, even right now around the world, there are Christians that live under regimes that would behead them if they were to know of their faith in Jesus. There are Christians around the world that are having to meet in basements right now, in smaller cell groups so that they aren't all at once worshiping together. So if some of them get taken away, the gospel can continue so that they can still advance. In places like China, in places in the Middle East, places where the underground church is actually exploding in growth and experiencing persecution. And we might think in the West, how in the world why is the church advancing through the, all this great tribulation? See, I think if we look at the course of history, the church has actually exploded in growth and exploded uh, in, in the sense that like, it's grown numerically in the face of direct opposition more than it has in a place where it can grow complacent. This is just the truth of the church throughout history. See, the church has and always will experience tribulation throughout time. So we must confess that many of us, we're never going to face the threat of death for our faith in Jesus, or at least very few of us. Or if, in order to experience that, some of us might have to just actively choose it to actually go on mission, to go to the nations, to go to the places where the gospel has not been named and where the gospel would be breathed on with threats with other people. But every single one of us are going to have to walk through our own individual battles and trials that we face every day. For many of us, our, uh, our trials, although different, are real. We'll be facing times of doubt, maybe facing opposition because of what the Bible instructs us to believe, what we, we're instructed to believe about marriage that's between a man and a woman, about sex that's reserved for marriage, or about sin that it's an actual thing, or the reality of hell that it is actually real, that there is a real place that you will go if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus and that place is hell. See, these things, these things we're instructed to believe by the Bible itself will have many of us enduring mockery for our belief in Jesus in this day, in this stage, in this country. Maybe, may we be willing to face the trials that Jesus wants to put before us. See, we will go through trial and suffering, but like 1 Peter says, that it's, it's not just if you go through trials, it's when you go through trials that you would be able to endure and face whatever comes our way because of being rooted in our future hope. See, much of the time uh, we spend in the church, much of the time we spend in Bible study, or even conversations, uh, the, the, the idea or even the topic of heaven doesn't come up a bit. And I think it's, some of that's in reaction to you know, many years ago hearing a lot about heaven but almost as heaven as this disembodied reality out there where heaven is a place where you, you know, sit on a harp and there, there's a cloud and some angels flying around. You, you get your own halo. And, and that's just all garbage. Like, you don't see that in the scriptures at all. What future hope in Jesus looks like is not this new, you know, ethereal reality where you float around somewhere. No, it's not disembodied. It is very much embodied. It is a new heavens and a new earth where we get to dwell with God forever. Like under, in his presence, his presence is actually the real promise of heaven. And don't just take my word for it. We're actually going to see this in the scriptures because the second thing we're told here is the picture of our future hope. Look with me at verse 15 through 17 again this picture of future hope. This is for all who are followers of Jesus. 
Therefore, they, God's redeemed people, are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne, what's he going to do? He's going to shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. They're going to be protected by God there. Why? For the lamb will be in the midst of the throne. The way we know God is because we know Jesus, we know his character. He will, they will be their shepherd. He will guide them into springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No reason for sadness anymore. This is the picture of future hope that we're given. The, the picture of hope that we're given that's on the table for us to actually believe that to be in the eternal presence of God, to be with Jesus, this is the, for everyone who would believe. And the good news of this, the good news of heaven, is not that we get all the desires that we wanted granted. We don't get this mansion on, on, a, on, a, on a hillside somewhere or all the kind of like odd songs that I kind of grew up in the church singing, some stuff about like golden slippers and streets of gold, stuff like Yeah, there's some truth in there somewhere, but the point isn't the gold. The point is Jesus. Jesus is the goal. Jesus' presence to be with him. That's the reality of heaven. That to be wherever our God resides in fullness, that is heaven for us because that's what we long for. And this is why this is good news. It's because that's what we're made for. We're told in the very beginning of the scriptures that God made the heavens and the earth. He made everything that's within them and created man in his own image that we would all bear the image and likeness of God, the imago Dei. But it wasn't that we were just made in the image of God and he said, just go be free, go be happy, go do whatever you want. And he says, no, he's going to partner with us in the ruling of all creation, that we would actually be fruitful and multiply, that we'd work the ground, that we'd actually have dominion over this planet and serve alongside of creation and cultivate it in such a way that it produces the flourishing of all things. What do we do as humanity? We abandon that. We abandon what God had for us, the good role, the harmony that we had with creation, and we traded it for thorns and thistles with the briar patch. We traded our partnership with God and the ruling of all creation to being enslaved to sin. But the good news of the gospel, the thing that Jesus came to fix is that once we were united with God in his own presence, but what Jesus has come, he said, even though you can't make your way up to me, you can't climb a ladder high enough to bring yourself into my presence and clean yourself up enough to earn to be the, the, the privilege of being in my presence. What Jesus has come to do is show that that ladder that you couldn't climb, I can. The, the cleansing that you can't do for yourself, I can provide for you. I can pour out my blood so that you can wash your robes and be clean. I can descend to earth and become a man and die the death that you deserve for sin so that you can ascend to heaven and be with God forever and have your desires met in the creator and the one who created you. This is the hope of heaven for us. See, in God's presence, we can actually enjoy his protection and provision. And when it comes right down to it, most of our desires are rooted in one of these two things. We want protection. We want protection from the things that could hurt us. This is the stuff we make idols out of. Let me find the next thing that's going to make me feel protected. Let me pull that into my personhood and my identity to try to defend me from the things that I think I need defending from. 
Or maybe it's just provision. Maybe we worship like, man, I just got to make as much money as I can. I want to I get as much stuff as I can so I can enjoy the most amount of things as I can. Because that's what life's really about anyways. That's what's showing in our idolatry when we worship stuff rather than Jesus. And in this picture of future hope, we actually get God's protection and God's provision in his presence. This is the promise of Revelation chapter 7. So the last question I want us to ask is, how then, how should this change the way that we live? The first thing, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the promise on the table for you. The desires of your heart to be provided for or to have provision or protection, it truly is in the hope of the gospel. It truly is in Jesus. And I can only speak this from my own testimony that I have been granted my desires in Jesus. He's met me in more ways than I could ever imagine because I was willing to place my hope and my faith in him. Like the believers, the redeemed people of God who've washed their robes by the blood of the Lamb, the only means by which I could receive this good news of the gospel was because of what Jesus has already done in pouring out his blood for me so that I could wash my robes, so that I could be in right standing before God. It's only the good news of the gospel that's going to get you these things. Everything else will fail you. This is the offer on the table for you. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus this morning, truth of this passage is that I think that what God wants us to do with a passage like Revelation is to mold us and to shape us into a hopeful people. Because we all need hope. Everything else around us in the world right now wants to show you ways to be anxious, wants to give you more reasons to worry, more reasons to just kind of freak out, just do something crazy. But what this passage wants us to do is shape us and guide us and make us into a hopeful people that have our future set on King Jesus and invite us to do this, to live like heaven is actually coming. And living with a future hope means living free from a number of things. First, living with a future hope means living free from the need to make everything in your life about trying to make heaven for yourself on earth. Guess what? You'll never be able to build a kingdom on earth that will ever compare with the new heavens and the earth that's coming. Your house will never be enough. Your job will never be enough. Your relationships will never be enough. Those things will always fail you in one way or another, but I can tell you, Jesus will never fail. We have a future hope that we can cling to, that when all these other things pass away, when everything else blows up around us, we can have the hope of Jesus and this future reality. Jesus is your shepherd. He is your God. He will lead you to springs of living water that won't let you down. But also, too, we can live with future hope. It means living free to spend your life, actually proclaiming the good news that salvation has been brought by Jesus. Because if that's true, if you can live free to spend your life proclaiming the good news, it means that you don't have to live it for anything else. It means you, when you say, man, I just don't have time. No, you actually do have time. You're, you're free from the constraints of the things that you think are kind of buckling you down everywhere else in your life. You are free to spend your life, every area of your life, conforming it and, and showing that I am under the lordship of King Jesus in this area of my life, with my time, with my money, with my finances, with, the, with, the, with my energy, my capacity, all those things belong to Jesus. And so I can live with freedom. Say, Jesus, where would you have me serve in this way? How would you honor you with this thing in my life? This 
is what we're free to do as followers of Jesus. And finally, living free with future hope means living free from the need to clean ourselves up in, in order to come before God. See, I spoke earlier about the exclusive claim here. There's one way to get before the throne of God, and that's through the blood of Jesus. It's only God that can accomplish that. So if you're here this morning, and you're not a follower of Jesus, or may you found yourself like entrenched in a pattern of sin, and, and you, you want to live a life of, of repentance, you need to come before your God and trust that the work that only he can do, he would accomplish in you, in making your robes white, in making you clean. You can become, you come before this God. He wants you before his throne because this is the place of a blessing for you. This is the place where you're going to be met with his protection, with his provision for eternity. And that's the future hope that we all want to live into. And so that's the good news of the gospel that we get to put on our lips and proclaim to others. But even if, you know, you feel like you need to clean yourself up before you come to God. We get to dash that on the rocks of the truths of Scripture and say that, that righteousness is only accomplished by Jesus. And so we get to proclaim that good news to everyone that's around us. Revelation 7 is a beautiful picture of God's redeemed people and the future hope that we can all have in all who would believe in him. And I pray that this morning that we'd actually live into that reality as a church body. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray um, that this morning we would believe the truths of this passage, uh, that we'd believe um, in this future hope that we have. And God, I pray that this future hope would make us into a truly hopeful people, um, not just a, a, a fake hope that's dressed up with uh, trite sayings or um, words that could just as easily have come from a self-help book, um, but rather uh, the hope of the gospel, that you, Jesus, have died for our sin. And God, I pray uh, that we would live in light of this future hope and that it would shape us, um, shape our lives, shape our, our families, our marriages uh, in ways where um, we really do live as hopeful people in this world. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.